Luke chapter 12, we'll start reading at verse 49. I must have given Chris the wrong title for my sermon earlier, because he announced it in the morning service as peace in turbulent times, but unfortunately, (laughs) I'm actually preaching on the complete opposite of that, and uh, I'm talking about the price of peace, and perhaps turbulent times, which might be followed by peace, but uh, we're in the turbulent times right now. So this is the the price of peace. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says to his disciples, and therefore to us, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. No. I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. These are the words of Christ. Now, Jesus taught those words because his disciples were expecting something from his reign. And he was showing them that their expectations weren't quite right. And we actually, funnily enough, expect the same sort of thing. They knew that the Prince of Peace was coming, the Messiah, God's chosen King. And so they expected, as we all know, Um, for Jesus to be a kind of earthly ruler who would bring peace and prosperity to the Jewish people of the time, overthrow the Romans and bring unity to a divided Jewish nation. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring that kind of peace, but rather division. But it applies as much to us today because um, I, I suppose subconsciously we expect the Christian faith, a religion of peace, to bring peace. And more often than not, we find it brings division and our lives are uncomfortable for that and other reasons. And uh, we can end up losing heart. So we expect peace and we get trouble instead. And that is what Jesus is saying we should expect. It reminds me a bit of the um, experiment you do at school with the alkali metals where you drop them into water and they fizz and pop a little bit and some of them explode. Um, The end result is you get a... I think it's a hydroxide solution. I don't know. Um, So you drop sodium into water and it fizzes and bubbles and then you get sodium hydroxide. And we want the sodium hydroxide, but you can't get there without the fizz and the the bubble and the pop. And if you do it with something like lithium or some of the stronger ones, which I can't remember, potassium, then it catches fire and, and blows up and all this kind of thing. And we're in that fizzing stage of fire and, and difficulty before you get to the end result. The end result, heaven... The new creation will be a time of peace, and the Prince of Peace will reign in peace. But first we're in the the fizz-pop part, where actually a lot has to change to bring us to that that place. So Jesus is setting our expectations about what we'll experience as Christians. Now, obviously, if I was to say to all of you, what is the most dear to you in your life— alongside the golf clubs and the sports cars and things like that, <laughs> maybe not, you, I'm sure you would say relationships, perhaps uh, friendship, husband, wife, child, 
uh, parents, this kind of thing. Relationships are the things that are most dear to us. And so when Jesus says he comes to divide families, he's touching on something where we're really sensitive. And a lot of us have experienced this kind of division, where a family is divided because of the gospel. And it's very painful. So I'm not unaware of that. And uh, I guess that's why this passage is so difficult to speak on, to hear. It's not really anybody's favorite Bible passage. Um, But here we go. It's God's word, and so we're going to look at it. Now let's start uh, where Jesus does with this fire on the earth and this baptism. Because uh, I suppose instinctively we jump to the second half, Jesus dividing families, because that's very easy to understand and um, also very painful. But what does it mean when Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I've got a baptism to undergo first. What's he talking about? Well, the first thing for us to consider here, I think, is that he's using this kind of language, sort of metaphorical language. Fire could be literal if we're talking about the end times, but maybe metaphorical, um, so that we lie awake at night thinking, what did Jesus mean when he said this? Because he could have said plainly, I came to bring a message that would divide people, and some will believe it and some won't. But instead he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. He wants us to be thinking as we go to sleep at night, why did Jesus say, I've come to bring fire? What does that mean? And so... We, we do need to chew over this imagery, and I'm going to give you a, a kind of explanation of it. But that explanation isn't everything that it means. And uh, it's designed for us to hear that explanation and then go away and ponder it some more and think about the other things it could mean as well. So briefly, first of all, I want to talk about the baptism. Because he says, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. And... It's widely acknowledged that this baptism seems to be referring to his death and then his resurrection. And how he is constrained until that's completed, that's his life's work. And until it's finished, he can't move on to the next stage of the plan, as it were. Baptism, um, being immersed in water, is a frequent picture in the Bible of punishment. Can you think of a time in the Bible where water is used as punishment? Noah's flood, yeah, exactly, very obvious example. Another one where someone is kind of immersed in water, but inside something else. Jonah, yeah. So um, this picture of baptism as being immersed in God's judgment is quite a common one in the Bible. And there are a few Psalms that talk about that sort of thing as well, being overwhelmed by the flood of judgment. So this seems to be what Jesus is talking about. His death was that baptism he had to go through before he could move on with the plan. But let's think about the fire. I I say that because um, the fire perhaps could have more meanings than the baptism. I think the baptism tends to, it tends to seem, you know, people tend to acknowledge that it seems to point to his death. But the fire, what does fire mean in the Bible? Just put your heads together on your tables for 30 seconds and uh, say, where do you see fire in the Bible? Go on, discuss for a second.
Okay, just a quick chat. Let's throw out some ideas. Where do we see fire in the Bible? Sorry? Punishment. Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, absolutely. Judgment, good example. Going through the desert, yeah, pillar of fire, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. More connected with the Exodus as well. Pentecost is one, yep. Burning bush, yep, absolutely. Um, so what does, what does the burning bush represent? What's the fire there? God's presence, yeah. God's there, absolutely. Pentecost, what does the fire represent there? Holy Spirit, again, God's presence. Um, pillar of fire represents God's presence. So we've got a lot of fire representing God's presence. And we've got judgment. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, fire on the altar. Again, judgment and um, holiness, I suppose. There are a few more for holiness. Sorry, there was some, one over here that I didn't quite hear. Refining. Refining, yes. Absolutely like metal being put into the fire and coming out purer. Let's see, Sinai, um, when the law was given, that was burning with fire. Again, representing God's presence and holiness. Let's see, Pentecost, we got that. Um, one in the future. Lake of fire, yes, judgment, again. I'm sorry, Rosie, what did you say? End times. So um, 2 Peter talks about the earth and all the elements being burnt up with fire. The same thing in one of the Thessalonians, which is it? 1 Thessalonians. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about fire bringing to light good and bad. So it says wood and stubble burnt up, but precious metals come out of the fire. Let's see, what else? Oh, this is an interesting one. Revelation 1.14. Um, Jesus' eyes blaze like fire. Kind of this picture of holiness and sort of consuming fire. You know, it's, it's things that are unholy cannot exist in the presence of Jesus. Um, his eyes are burning with fire. Yeah. So God's presence, God's holiness, judgment, cleansing, refining. All of these ideas, they're kind of related, aren't they? But um, judgment alone is very different to God's presence alone, um, which is quite different to cleansing as well. So they all have slightly different meanings. And I think this is why um, Jesus uses this image of fire, because he wants us to go away and think, what does he mean? He says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, if fire is judgment, and Jesus longs for it to be kindled... Isn't that a sobering thought? But he does long for it to be kindled because he's righteous and he's just and he wants to do what's right. So God looks forward to judgment. That's a, a really sobering thought, I think. But equally, God is looking forward to purifying his people and uh, that's a, a great thing. And um, I want to take us to one passage of the Old Testament that links this baptism that Jesus experiences and the fire together to come up with a, a sort of all-encompassing answer for what Jesus means here. Now, it's one of many answers, but let's take a look at Zechariah, chapter 13. Maybe if anyone's looking in the church Bibles and finds a page, just shout it out, because it's a bit tricky to find. Just before Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. 
957. Thanks, Malcolm. Now, I'm going to read this, these verses of Zechariah because they link Jesus' death with fire and what that fire is doing. So um, the, the reference to Jesus' death is where it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, talking about the disciples scattering. So the New Testament says that's talking about Jesus' death. And then let's see what the fire does. So this is Zechariah 13, verse 7. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the, the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. Oh, that's a bit funny. Phantom sound desk. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. So, Here we've got God himself striking his shepherd, Jesus, in Jesus' death. He takes the judgment of his people. And that results in a division, just as we've seen Jesus talking about. A bit like that that science experiment at school. When you drop the metal into the water, you get your hydroxide solution. But the thing that bubbles off is gas. And God is saying, a a bit like the gas that comes off, Um, two-thirds will disappear and they will be out of my sight. But one-third I'm going to refine with fire, all because I have struck my shepherd. This unites it because it looks as though Jesus is saying here, Jesus is coming to refine his people. It's the fire of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming and bringing his people to holiness. And until he's undergone his baptism of judgment on the cross, that cannot happen because the shepherd has not been struck to take the punishment for his people. And so when Jesus says, uh, how I wish that fire were already kindled, he's looking forward to the time when you and I will be made more like him and be prepared for his kingdom. So that's a wonderful thing. But... That brings division because you've got the two-thirds that are struck off and the one-third that goes through the fire. So let me apply that to us today. Firstly, we are the people in the fire that Jesus was going to bring. And Jesus might have used the picture of fire for lots of reasons, but I'm guessing he didn't use it because fire is very comfortable when you're in it. Fire is uncomfortable. And so... For us being refined by Christ in the fire, with the Holy Spirit on us, we've stepped into a life of discomfort until the great Prince of Peace brings the kingdom of peace. Again, a very sobering message. But also, as we're being refined, as we're being purified, uh, I suppose the difference between those who are being purified and those who do not want to be purified 
comes out and it brings division. And so, Jesus says, I've come to divide five in one family against each other, three against two, and two against three. And the relationships he mentions there are parents and children. You can't really get a closer relationship. Your closest friends and family will be divided. So, what's the answer to that? Well, here we go. We've got to keep moving towards. We've got to keep moving towards God. When we're um, living our lives and the Christian life is uncomfortable and we're losing friends because they reject the gospel and we embrace it, the temptation is to move away from God and to move away from sharing the gospel. And so I want to challenge all of us that when life is uncomfortable, the answer he wants is for us to move towards God and towards other people who need the gospel, whether they reject it or not. So we keep moving towards, towards God and towards other people. And we do that remembering that the gospel will divide, but it might only divide temporarily. So do you remember what Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 3? Let me read it for you. Paul says, uh, the churches didn't really know me. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And so that's particularly reassuring for those of us with family members who have rejected the gospel. Because it's quite possible that one day they will say the same things about themselves. They who once persecuted the faith are now preaching it. So Christ comes to divide, but let's not give up hope. I want us to spend a couple of moments in prayer now just on your tables, um, praying for those who perhaps have rejected the gospel, maybe they've heard it and they're antagonistic towards it. Praying for those that, like Paul, they will one day come to preach it themselves. And secondly, praying for us, that we won't be afraid of the division that Christ came to bring, but we'll still keep reaching our friends and family for the gospel. So let's just spend two or three minutes in prayer on our tables about those things. More like you. Amen. Just going back right to the start of this talk, I mentioned um, the disciples' expectations of the Messiah. They expected the Prince of Peace, someone to come and bring peace and unity to a divided nation. And it didn't happen, and Jesus said it wouldn't happen. But it will one day happen. And so I want to leave us with this positive thought as we go away. That Christ experienced the baptism that he experienced. That baptism of being overwhelmed by God's judgment so that we don't have to. And isn't that good news to share? That that is good news for everyone. Nobody has to experience God's judgment. They can accept Christ. They can put their trust in him and be saved. And everyone who does that will come into that kingdom of peace where there will be no more death, there'll be no more division, there'll be no more um, anxiety and fear. The new creation will be a wonderful place. And that is where we will see the king in his beauty, as Isaiah puts it. So let's press on through these turbulent times. Let's expect division, but let's not stop worshipping our great God for what he's done for us.